we'll continue here on 77 Minutes in Heaven. Damaris and Falwell with uh, an update on the latest developments around the league. Will we see NBA play resume uh, for this season? So, Falwell, give us the latest. Well, I think the thing that's really interesting that it's occurred this week, Brian, is the things that Mark Cuban has had to say. And I do have some other interesting information we'll get to here in a minute. But, you know, look, we obviously take a lot of our cues from what Mark's got to say, the the owner of the Mavs. And, and he's continued to be positive. I mean, his positivity, his comments are why I'm firmly of the belief, and I've talked to some friends who aren't as optimistic as I am, but his comments are why I'm firmly of the belief that NBA ownership will do whatever they will go to the ends of the earth, basically, figuratively speaking, to try to salvage something out of the 2019-20 season, even if that means that this thing doesn't end until conceivably Labor Day, which then, of course, means you're going to have a domino effect of what would happen in the following season. But Mark said this week in an interview, and he said it in multiple places, that if the over-under is restarting the season before the 1st of June, then he would take the under on that. And, you know, perhaps that's, uh, you know, being too overly optimistic, but I do like hearing what he has to say. And that just continues to convince me that NBA owners do see that they are going to have to, of course, be very creative about it, but come up with some ways to get this season restarted. And they are really committed to having some kind of conclusion, even if it means a shortened regular season and maybe even a shortened first round of the playoffs. Yeah. I think obviously, you know, financially, um, there were reports that came out this week that said, you know, the league could be losing a billion dollars mm-hmm. if the, the season isn't resumed and it's just canceled for the rest right. of the year. Right. Uh, that is China plus coronavirus. Um, that is a that's 17 percent. The league makes six billion. So right. that's a big chunk off the top. Right. And that means about 40 to 50 million in real cash to a team. Right. That in a lot of cases is, you know, we're not going to cry for these owners because the value increases, but that's not liquid. They need cash to be able to, you know, run the businesses and they aren't making 40 to $50 million a year. It's in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they want to get this done. It's just a question of how do you do it? And, and the good news is they have a commissioner in Adam Silver who's, you know, anything is, is open and they're going to him asking for guidance and, and Silver's being very careful not to give too much because a lot of it is just simply out of his control. Right. And I think what you're seeing is uh, this this idea floating around that possibly the resumption of games could be uh, without fans and even in a kind of summer league environment where Vegas would be a site where everybody would just play in one space to, to right. help with, you know, sanitation have everybody tested beforehand, things of that nature. That's a really interesting aspect. I don't know if that would be the case for playoffs, but at least, you know, having camps in your practice facilities and then going there for a week or two weeks to play games all at once, I think, you know, would obviously start the TV money regenerated and would give a lift to fans who Mm -hmm. want to see that. You know, I guess in the big picture, this doesn't matter a whole lot. I wonder how they would handle the television coverage of that would every game be like it is in summer league where every game is on nba tv or espn or uh you know available on streaming um and it's handled through those personnel where they give us a chance as the team's local and regional broadcasters and rights holders 
probably not to go there and do the games, but we have the opportunity to do them remotely from a studio. Uh, so we can do the games from the perspective of our team and our fans and, and fans hearing the familiar voices that they're accustomed to. I suppose that's, uh, you know, there's 900 things that have to fall into place and that's uh, on the list of things. That's number like 714. <laughs> it's probably pretty far down the list, but I guess I wonder what that would mean for how they would approach it from just uh, a broadcast standpoint and the opportunities that would mean for those of us who are involved in regional broadcast with the teams. Well, it, it, it is a factor because, you know, you have TNT, you have ESPN, but Fox Sports and the regional networks are a, a big, you know, player in this. And yeah. so... All of those constituencies, you know, the TV money is 30% of, of all the money that the NBA brings in and the BRI. So mm -hmm. those are big groups that have a huge say in how this is going to be split up and done and, right. and how that's parsed out. Um, and, you know, I think you had some info that I wanted to get to on uh, testing and players yeah. and all of that because – and that could lead into uh, – you, do you have one more point? Well, just yeah. can, can I, let me say just on the broadcaster perspective, uh, this year, if anybody remembers the preseason game when the Mavs played the Clippers in Vancouver, we did that remotely from a studio. We did that from the Fox Sports Southwest studios in Irving. Um, when the Mavs went overseas to play in the preseason in 2012 and they played in Berlin and they played, uh, they played Alba Berlin in Berlin, Germany, obviously, and played at FC Barcelona. We did those games remotely here from Dallas. Uh, Brian, as you know, uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of people that that's how we approach this. But a big chunk of us who did the World Cup for Fox in 2018, uh, we were from doing them from a remote location in Los Angeles. We were not in Russia. Uh, we do that on the road for FC Dallas games. We've done that in uh, more games that I could count. Uh, CONCACAF Gold Cups, CONCACAF Olympic qualifiers for women, um, Europa League, Champions League, Copa America Centenario. I bet I've done 100 studio games as a soccer announcer between FC Dallas and games I've done with Fox, probably well more than that. So uh, I would say one thing is that that's not um, – you know, for, for basketball, it's a little bit unique, a little bit different. But I would say from my own personal experience, there is a lot of familiarity with the idea of doing that. And I don't think that that would be something that would be terribly hard to put together. If, if to get this off the ground, we'll play it in a bubble in Las Vegas and that area. And local broadcasts will get to do their games, but they'll all have to do them remotely. I don't think of all of the things that you're trying to to wrap your arms around here, that seems to me something that because of past experience wouldn't be terribly difficult. Yeah. And to be honest with you, watching you on the World Cup and, and others who did it remotely, um, to, to us laymen, we're not, we, we can't even tell. Yeah. And, you know, those are done by, for cost reasons. Uh, this would be done for health reasons. But in this world where everything's kind of been jumbled up and we've mm -hmm. accepted a lot of things, I don't think anybody's going to complain that broadcasts are done remotely. Yeah. And people, you know, teams or fans of teams want to hear their own team's voices. I sure. think, you know, there's, I think there's a lot to that. Uh, now, one thing on that is I think there is, um, a growing consensus, but I think, uh, there, there's no issue with playing games through even mid September now, yeah. you know, and, and this old idea of, um, kind of a, older model, pre-digital model that people don't watch TV in July and August because they're on vacation, I think, um, is is sliding away. And so mm -hmm. that that is some of those scuttlebutt that we've talked about before about, you know, should we shift the calendar permanently? But I think the idea that uh, 
deadlines and certain dates are drop deads because we've got to get it done by July, especially with the Olympics now being canceled, even though I don't think that was a big factor that players were going to have to play for who paid them first. But Mm -hmm. now that's off the table. Um, I think you have a pretty open runway till mid-September. Yeah, I would agree with that. So one of the one of the things that you have to clear, one of the hurdles on that runway that you have to clear, of course, is getting everybody in the league healthy. Uh, what stopped it all down was patient zero, Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz. That's what basically, once he tested and the NBA domino fell, then everything else in the entire sports world in the United States as we know it fell. So let's just update on where the league is in terms of players that have tested because you've got to get all the players healthy and cleared and those who haven't had it all tested negative uh, before you can even entertain the idea of opening up training facilities to start practice, to start getting people ramped up into the ramp up procedure for whenever you can restart things. The first two names we all know were Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert for the Utah Jazz. As we record this on Friday, March the 27th, News broke in the not-too-distant past before we recorded from Sham Sharania of The Athletic that Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell have now been cleared. So they tested positive. They've gone through the self-isolation and, uh, you know, whatever symptoms and whatever difficulties they had to deal with it, which the only thing I really ever heard concrete about it was that Rudy Gobert has lost his sense of taste and smell. And so those guys are cleared and it's in the rearview mirror. Uh, word came down the day before on Thursday, late on Thursday, March 26th, the third player that we happened to hear about, who was Christian Wood of the Detroit Pistons, has also been cleared. So he's now a recovered case from coronavirus. And he had played against Gobert two nights before or something yeah. like that. and had a huge game. Had like 30 points and 11 rebounds or something like that. Um, so around the league, these are the players – Numbers of players and individuals that are associated with teams that we're aware of. Marcus Smart of the Boston Celtics. We don't know anything about how things are going for him. The Brooklyn Nets announced four players tested positive. The only one of the four who stepped forward to identify himself, as we know, was Kevin Durant. The other three players, we don't know who they are or anything about what their process is right now from a health standpoint. The Lakers announced that two players had tested positive. Who those two players were were never released. The 76ers announced that three members, three individuals in their organization, what that exactly means, none of us, of course, know. Do they mean players? Do they mean assistant coaches? Who knows? There's no real update to give there. The Nuggets also announced one individual as well, uh, what that means in terms of player, assistant coach, somebody in the traveling party uh, that we're unaware of. So that's kind of where we are in terms of NBA players and the coronaviruses. Uh, you know, actual foothold amongst the people that we have to have healthy for these games to resume. And the, you know, we haven't really heard anything in terms of any other names being added to the list, Brian, since March the 19th. I mean, we've basically gone eight days from whenever you and I are recording this podcast since there's been any sort of announcement, which I view that as obviously social isolation, social distancing, all of the things that they've told the players to do. Clearly, that's having an impact. And maybe they're not getting tested. So, you know, we don't know what teams are, have tested. True. And have, uh, you know, there are a couple teams that have tested, and, and I think uh, Toronto is one that tested and gave all clear. Yeah. I believe um, the same thing with Oklahoma City. Right. Yeah, tested and, and gave all clear. they were obviously yes. playing the Jazz that night. Yeah. Um, so, we don't know what teams, um, you know, if, if all teams are getting tested. There was some 
backlash, especially when the Nets came out um, saying, you know, why are you guys testing when testing is at a shortage? Of course, they're using private companies uh, to do that. And testing is now a little bit more widely available than it was even a week or two ago. So hopefully if testing becomes, you know, where there is no scarcity, then we can get more of that to get more results because, you know, one of the issues we're seeing with the players is staying in shape and, mm-hmm. you know, how they're being communicated with. I know for the Mavs, they are getting, you know, they have an in-house app. They're being communicated with uh, daily with a workout plan, with resistant bands, with cardio, uh, some stretching that's done. The people that need uh, certain types of rehab, like Luca on his wrist, his ankle, uh, both wrists, his ankle, and communicate with daily about what to do about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not optimal, but it is kind of maintenance mm-hmm. to, to, to do that. Uh, obviously with facilities are closed. So that's why that's being done. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, especially with the maps live, you know, Maxi, Luca, they live in apartments. They don't right. have a, even a basket to go in the backyard and shoot hoops at. Right. Um, and we still have a restriction in this County of no more than 10 people. So you can't really, you know, to open a practice facility, which are closed, even if you opened them by league mandate, uh, you couldn't have more than 10 people in there anyway. Right. right. So um, there's a lot of different moving parts, which goes to if you were to start at some point, you know, how long would you need to get people up to speed back into game shape? Is 10 days enough? Do you mm-hmm. need more than that? Uh, you and know, think of how isolated those environments would have to be. I mean, for, you know, every Rick Carlisle and Jamal Mosley and Steven Silas, I mean, Every person who steps into those facilities, there's going to have to be temperature checks. There's going to have to be monitoring. There's going to have to be extreme social isolation measures whenever they're away from the facility. I mean, it is going to be nothing short of a minor miracle if they're able to keep everyone um, you know, isolated to the point where once they do restart and there is some more interaction amongst individuals to be able to keep everyone in a controlled environment where they can make sure that there's no possibility of an infected person being reintroduced into the equation. Which is, you know, really key because if, if there's another positive test, then it just shuts down all over again. Yes. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting when we talk about Rudy Gobert, which was two weeks ago, um, if he hadn't been, and, and there's been news and you probably know better than I do about a, a soccer game in Italy that was yes. played, yes. uh, that a lot of cases are being tied to. Yes. It was a Champions League game. Yeah. Atalanta and Valencia played in a Champions League game. So, yeah. you know, if, if Gobert hadn't tested positive, uh, it's very likely that the very next day, all those NCAA tournaments games are played. The NHL games are played. The right. NBA games, which were scheduled to play without fans are still played. Uh, we don't know when a positive test would have come if he hadn't been tested. Right. Because then uh, Donovan Mitchell wouldn't have been tested. Right. We don't know when that first test, even a few days, because when was that Valencia game? Uh, that game was, I, I can't remember the specific date on it, but it's it's being called a biological bomb. Yeah, but Basically, it was still a week and a half ago or something like that. Yeah, it was it was well before March 11th and it was well before the the I mean extreme crisis in terms of the significance of the of community spread of coronavirus and the high 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 mortality rate that they're experiencing in Italy. It was still 
before that. And as the story goes, you know, uh, it's, it's people celebrating, it's hugging and kissing in the Italian cultural way after goals. So the, the intense amount of spread that could have happened in, in that particular game, uh, that uh, it didn't happen in the city where the team Atalanta is based. They went to Milan to play at San Siro, which is where AC Milan and Inter Milan play. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that for all of the grief that Rudy Gobert got after the, in the immediate aftermath for uh, touching the microphones and behaving by his own admission. He said this in his, in his um, Instagram uh, comments and, and apology and instructions to everyone to take it seriously. After the fact, he called himself careless. Uh, and the touching the microphone thing will always be kind of one thing that we'll look back many years from now. And once we're able to laugh about this in some sort of historic way, we'll look back and, and, and look at it and, and kind of those, you know, that was one of the weird moment aspects of it. But the bottom line is, yeah, it was February is, 19th yeah. in Italy, but oh, that, yeah. again, Italy was way before yeah. the U S in terms of when yep. that was happening. And, you know, but, just imagine if there was a full, let's say through that weekend, of games in yes. all sports, yes, you know the potential for the spread that could have gotten a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's amazing that you know we were able to at least in some aspects, you know, his, control his, it at that yeah, point. His test was like for for all of the grief he got about the carelessness with which he behaved. His test was an absolute turning point, and his being patient zero, uh, very very likely saved thousands, if not tens of thousands of cases and hundreds and potentially thousands. And we call him patient zero. He wasn't the literal patient zero. He was a patient zero in terms of our awareness. Yeah. Professional sports. Professional sports. And, and the reason sports is this big deal is that I think it wasn't until he tested positive that people really started taking this seriously. Once yeah. short sports shut down, that's even when you saw local governments and everybody and you know, it was that weekend that I think it was the Monday after that, that shelter in place was put in, mm -hmm. in terms of restaurants closing, not right. shelter in place, but restaurants closing, bars closing. Correct. That was yep. the last night in Dallas. So you're talking about four days. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if he hasn't been tested, that doesn't happen then. And we're way behind the curve in a general way. You know, that Wednesday night, we're high five and we're all at the game. There's 20,000 people there the very next day. Everything's shut down. So it took Gobert to really go, okay, the, this is if, if all this is happening, then we do need to take it seriously. Quick note. What do you think in terms of news that's happened around the NBA in the last 48 hours? What do you think about the aspect of the fact that Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA, deputy commissioner uh, Mark Tatum, uh, and I believe the number is 100 high ranking league officials and executives have a lot of executives that yeah, have all had uh, significant pay cuts. Uh, in terms of trying to establish, um, you know, self-sacrifice, budgetary control. So it doesn't affect the, uh, obviously, the lower salaried individuals who are clearly much more in need of a paycheck every two weeks in terms of sustainability of their life. Interesting aspect of, of that has come up with the end. Well, I think it's a, it, it shows Silver, again, showing leadership in terms of I think people are, and we're going to see stories about this come out, probably for months to come of, and you see some of billionaires, you know, the, the Sixers tried to cut salaries of every employee and the backlash was so immediate that mm -hmm. they quickly came back on that. Uh, there's not a lot of sympathy for billionaires crying poor right? and, and doing that. And, and not that they're all billionaires in the league office. They're not, but 
Uh, I think it's a smart move, um, you know, in terms of appearance, in terms of, of perception. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's a good thing to do. I think it's a good model for other companies who are, are, are saying that they don't have the budget for certain things. Uh, Mark Cuban has been, frankly, awesome in terms of his leadership on the small business side mm -hmm. in, in, the, in terms of the uh, economic aspects of what he's doing. I know he's working closely with the Small Business Administration in terms of what they can do for the basically free loans they're giving to, to small businesses to keep their employees um, employed. So there's a lot of angst and a lot of economic uh, angst going on. And so I think that's a good thing. The cynical side, of course, is that they're doing that so that they could possibly go to the players and say, well, you take a haircut. Mm -hmm. um, they're playing the pay players fully on their April 1st check, but the April 15th check, because there is a force majeure clause in the CBA where they can be uh, basically not paid for the games that are actually canceled. Now, I don't know how they do that because games aren't technically canceled yet. Mm -hmm. They're just suspended, but uh, they could say, okay, we've done that. Now you do that. And that's something that'll have to be, you know, negotiate the pot of everything. But uh, overall, I think it's a smart move. I mean, look, Mark Cuban uh, has said, and I saw this in a CNBC story earlier this week, how owners and companies treat their employees during this pandemic will define their brand for, in his opinion, potentially decades to come. And that's some pretty serious, exactly. heavy stuff. And, and you, uh, you're technically a Mavericks employee, even though yeah. as a broadcaster for the team, I don't know if that's the model throughout the league, but by and uh, large part, yes. Mavericks employees, salaries have not been touched, right? All their benefits are there. Um, they're actually getting reimbursed for lunches and dinners. They do at local restaurants in the area. Mm -hmm. Uh, he and Dwight Powell and Luca have, have, have given away product and money to local causes. So half a million dollars was their donation to healthcare workers at Parkland and UT Southwestern medical center to pay for childcare because of the obviously enormous workload that they're under right now. So the, so the donation was earmarked for those workers at those particular medical facilities to be able to pay for childcare. And Mark's been on, you know, 3M to get them to, you know, basically World War II style, take their whole factory and turn it into a mask producing mm -hmm. uh, organization full time. Uh, so yeah, he's, you know, I would encourage you to go on his tour. He's, he's really been on top of things for small business, for uh, all those that we know that are, you know, as I moonlight as a comedian, I know that all those, you know, all those guys yeah. that are friends of mine aren't making any money right now. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not like they have, uh, you know, years of savings stashed away. I mean, we all live the way we have to live and, and it's hard for a lot of people in the service industry and, and, uh, but in a lot of companies that are just absolute cheesecake factory may be closing on April 1st and all wow. those people that are there. So one of the things the Mavs have done too, Brian is within reason, uh, obviously with, with a lot of the regulations that exist right now and social distancing and things like that. Uh, but there are still essential services that are operating that are dependent on volunteers. So one of the things they said is if you can do this in a smart way and abide by all regulations, here are some ways that you can give back to the community during this time. So yesterday I was at Minnie's Food Pantry in Plano and had about a three and a half hour volunteer shift there yesterday. That's a cause that's important uh, to people with the Mavs and it's something that they recommended to us and they help provide meals for food insecure people. And by the way, of course, that number has gone up significantly. Um, and, you know, it's uh, 
a really good cause to be involved with. And as a matter of fact, for some people to kind of cope with what they're going through, there's an organization called Shift Smart right now, which is helping restaurant workers go do meet the demand for volunteers because people right now are a little bit less willing to volunteer because of different situations. So to meet the, to the demand for volunteers, some of them are actually being paid a little bit to help recoup losses for people that are in the restaurant business. So, I mean, the Mavs in any number of different ways behind Mark's leadership, but just, just that one particular example I talked about in volunteering at Minnie's Food Pantry in Plano is, you know, they're, they're out there doing everything they can to, you know, to be, to be solid, upstanding leaders in the community right now. I think you just said that to show off that you were, you volunteered for three and a half hours while I watched seven hours of Tiger King yesterday. <laughs> so you're a better person than me. <laughs> well, we already knew that anyway. <laughs> um, well, we did promise some fun and we'll get back to some fun uh, yes. soon, but we did have a lot to catch up on in the NBA as things continue to progress daily. 